Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So on the first two episodes of the season, we focused on the mentor-protege relationship, and we foreshadowed and sometimes just directly referenced really having an understanding of self and knowing your growth areas and being willing to be coached, to be coachable, to be teachable. I think it was in episode one, I referenced the nine block and the trait of a high potential employee is someone who understands their weaknesses, understands their development areas. When I interview now for my practice, I'm the final interview. I'm the last gate that a candidate has to get through. One of my first questions in that conversation after we've gone through the necessary introductions is what are your top three development areas? A candidate that I will hire is a candidate who is acutely aware of where they need development. So for example, for me, probably the first thing on my list is follow through. Now, I struggle with follow through. I'm really good at starting, but sometimes I get bored or I get distracted. I just get loaded with the work and I have a hard time wanting to drive it all the way through completion. Now, the upside is I'm incredibly aware of that as a development point for me, an active development point that I've had my entire career. Because I'm aware of it, I've actively pursued coaching and mentorship around that area. And I've actively put in action plans to work on that area. And so unless I call it out, or we've worked with each other for a really long time and you know that about me, or I just fell on my face on a particular assignment, most people don't know that I struggle with follow-through. Most people would tell you that I'm great at follow-through, but that's actually something I actively struggle with and I have to manage it all of the time because my ongoing temptation is to drop the ball. So it's something I'm very conscious of, I'm very aware of. That's my lead-in. When someone asks me that question, that's my number one lead-in. I struggle with follow-through. That awareness, as I said, not only allows you to understand what you need to work on, it allows you to go seek out solutions to help you develop in that particular area, but it also makes you conscious if it's something you do and struggle with, it actually helps you to proactively mitigate against that behavior or that tendency or that action. Sometimes that mitigation looks like, hey, I'm not good at this. You really don't want me to do that. So proactively identifying when you probably shouldn't be doing something. Self-awareness is really important. It truly is probably the first or second question I ask in a final stage gate interview when I'm hiring a candidate. And that lack of that awareness tells me that they're self-aware, that they're reflective, and that likely they're coachable and teachable. And they're looking for areas for themselves to improve. And that's a person I want on my team every single day. Now, if the answer was, I struggle with a grand larceny, or I like to burn things, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about, right? For life. <laughs> we're talking about professional development areas that they're aware of. And that's really critical for me. If you're not aware of that, I'm not going to promote you. I'm not going to put you into high leverage situations. If we're having an interview, I'm not going to hire you. So what does it look like to not be self-aware? When I ask that question, there's leading indicators as to whether someone's self-aware of their development areas, but they're just self-aware in general of their development areas in particular. Oftentimes I'll get an answer that sounds like a weakness, but really they're giving themselves a high five. A cheesy example is, and I've heard this multiple times, I am just so passionate 
about my work. I can't stop working. I'm so passionate. I'm a workaholic. I work too hard. Yeah. I should, I should work too hard. Which what I they're really what they're really saying is, I'm amazing. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at you, going, you will never work for me. That's kind of what we're talking about. Knowing where your development areas are. I don't know every development area that I have, so I'm also therefore seeking people to provide feedback to me on where I can develop. And that's not just from my supervisor. That's from my peers. That's also from the people who work for me. So that is what I mean by being self-aware and knowing where you have areas of growth or just knowing that you have areas of growth, even if you can't put your finger on every single area. Because I guarantee I have more than three areas. I think it's really important to understand what are your top three? Where do you need to grow? And therefore, how do you mitigate against those development areas? How do you turn those development areas into areas of strength or into areas of non-issue? Yeah. Another indicator that somebody doesn't have self-awareness for me is in my conversations with them, they indicate that they can't learn from others or that Mm. people are always doing everything wrong except them. So, you know, much more common than most people would realize. I run into that quite a lot. It's a disregard of others' feedback. You know, you'll see it in work meetings when you're discussing a solution and somebody's not even open to discussing a potential risk or problem or learning about other ways to do things than the approach that they've set out. You bring up a point of how something could be improved and that point doesn't get integrated with the solution. There might be a good reason for that. But if the person won't even listen to your point or won't even entertain a conversation, that's when I, for me, a little flag goes up like, are they self-aware? Because to Justin's point, I don't know all of my weaknesses either because I'm me. I don't interact with me (laughs) and work with me. Other people do. And they have unique perspective that I can learn from. And, you know, to go back to the last couple of episodes when we were talking about mentors and mentees and making sure that you're finding someone you respect and who is a right fit is particularly if those people come up to you, somebody who has great reputation within the organization or who you've heard good things about from others, you would want to learn from them. So nobody knows everything. They just know things through their own personal lens of their own background and experiences that they've had. So you learn so much more when you integrate other backgrounds and experiences to come up with a more holistic solution. But it also reminds me what you were saying, Justin, about you know, how when you interview folks and you ask them about opportunities for improvement, we had talked about in season one that there's this situational leadership model and leaders can mark where their folks fall in terms of, are they high or low in terms of their ability to do something? And then are they high or low in terms of their willingness? What's most important on that little quadrant is that they're high on willingness. That means they have some self-awareness They want Mm -hmm. to learn. And if you have that, then it's just about finding the right skill that you can do. But if you're not willing, if you're not self-aware that there are opportunities for you to improve, because there are opportunities for everyone to improve, you're not somebody who I want to engage with, even as a colleague that I'm collaborating with, you know, not just somebody who I don't want to manage on my team. It's difficult to work with those people all together. Because yeah. they always think they're right. That's yeah. one of the key indicators. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's painful to work with people who aren't self-aware. How do you receive feedback that allows you to become aware of maybe development areas that heretofore you had been unaware of? There's actually a proverb that says a wise man accepts rebuke. And it doesn't mean that the wise man agrees 
with all of the rebuke. The heart of that proverb is about being willing to accept feedback and being willing to go, I may not like all of this, or I may not agree with all of this, but there's a kernel of truth in here that I need to extract and I need to own and do something with. So criticism is hard. I don't like it at all. And my tendency sometimes is to be defensive when I get criticized. But I think if we can take a step back, take a breath and go, there's something here that I need to listen to. That's where you can really get some nuggets of goodness about areas of development and improvement. And that criticism can come through nonverbal communication, the way someone provides nonverbal feedback to you when you're doing something, when you're facilitating or having a conversation or putting forth a solution, you can read body language. That usually can be a, at least a visual cue. There may be a critique there or something you need to listen to or, or dive into. Being willingness to ask for feedback from folks, not in a, because sometimes that can work as a self-congratulation. You can be fishing for a compliment. And so I don't mean it in that sense, but sitting down with a supervisor, with a colleague, with someone you respect, maybe once a quarter and just asking the question, Hey, I know there are some areas I'm blind to. Could you give me a couple of points of feedback of critique that I could take and focus on when you open that door for people to step into and you're willing to receive what they have to say, it builds a lot of relational capital and a lot of relational trust. And then you get this goodness of understanding, Hey, there's actually something I need to, to work on. I think those receiving criticism and even inviting criticism and feedback, super healthy, super important, need to do it in a really non-defensive way. And John Gottman, who's a relational researcher at the University of Washington, I think he's retired now, he's a professor emeritus, does a lot of research on this. And he will say that most men inherently are defensive. And right now on this podcast, people are listening going, no, I'm not. Um, bingo most episodes for you (laughs) episodes for you most men tend to be defensive when they receive feedback and i can tell you that's true for me three of my four children are boys and i've got a 19 year old a 17 year old and a 10 year old and it is universally true for those three boys they are defensive when they get any sort of critique really being aware that you'll be defensive or that you could be defensive and helping to disarm yourself, taking a few breaths, relaxing the shoulders, listening to what people are saying, and then asking questions. So tell me more. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about the fact that I talk too much. By the way, that's probably development area number two for me. I tend to talk too much. You might be feeling that right now on this podcast. (laughs) So just receiving that feedback, and inviting it even, asking the question, hey, could you give me some feedback? Not in a way that, again, is fishing for a compliment, but in a way that you are earnestly seeking to understand where you can improve. And then asking follow-up questions, even if it's simply, tell me more about that. That also disarms your own internal defensive mechanisms when you're naturally curious about yourself and what other people have to say to you about areas that you can improve. Lastly, I would say, start to put an action plan together of what you can do. So, well, let's carry the chattiness piece a little bit. I have a weekly team call and there are times where I present on that call. And if I have not prepared my bullet points in advance, or if I've not sat down and thought, what are the key points that I want my people to know, do, or say as a result of what I'm sharing with them, chances are I'm going to ramble. If I don't have content prepared, even if it's just a slide or two or a graphic or an image, Sometimes I'll draw something on a sheet of paper, take a picture of it to digitize it and throw it up in the team to share. Likelihood is I'm going to fill the space with words. And then one of the last things I do is I try to talk for a set period of time, get a complete idea out, like a verbal paragraph, pause, ask them 
What questions do you have? Or what comments do you have? Pause again. And this time when I pause, I wait a full seven seconds. So literally one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. It's incredibly awkward because Americans don't like silence, Mm -hmm. but it leaves space for people to actually process what you said, react to it internally, and then react to it externally and get themselves off mute if they need to. So create an action plan. You've received feedback or you've invited feedback. You've received it in a non-defensive way. You've been curious about it. So you ask questions to learn more, and then you put an action plan together to address that area of feedback. And that may be an action plan, talked about follow through or chattiness that you are executing against continually, maybe for the rest of your professional life, which I think is what I have to do with both one and two. So now I'm gonna take my own advice, I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna ask Lindsay, what are your thoughts? I wanna add a point about the defensiveness. So. I've got the female. What do you mean you want to add a point about this? (laughs) I don't understand. So although I don't default as quickly as males, it sounds like, to the defensiveness, I am super sensitive. That is one of my personality traits. I'm very sensitive. And so when I get what I would interpret as criticism, it's been very hard for me to take, particularly when it comes from people I really respect and trust. It's a little harder to hear from them. I know what's helped me is this super popular idea now, at least in business schools, of having a brand. I know a lot of people don't like that terminology or that theory or idea of thinking of yourself as a brand at work, because I think it devalues you sometimes as a human. But for me, I take that piece out. And the reason I think of myself as a brand is because Lindsay at work is different than Lindsay in personal life. Mm, You know, I do project and change management. I am certainly not hanging out with my family and friends working on spreadsheets and coming up with the key milestones of projects. So we're we're going to have to have a conversation (laughs) if you are. No, I'm not. Now, sometimes that skill set comes in handy if you're doing things like, you know, preparing a big event or yeah, yeah, family reunion or something. I do get out my PM skill set, but Overall, I think of Lindsay as a work brand and then main Lindsay who hangs out with the family and friends. And so when somebody is critiquing my work brand, I just think of it almost as like if I'm trying to make my brand of spaghetti sauce stand out, it's almost Mm. like a taste test. Well, this is how I would improve this one. (laughs) I I would change this a little bit. And that's how I take it and think about it. And I also keep in the back of my mind, just because somebody gives me criticism or an opportunity for feedback doesn't mean that I have to do it. It's my choice what I do with it. When it's really good and you're not taking it personally, well, when you're not taking it personally, you can see if it's really good advice or if it's advice that do you feel like isn't as applicable, like maybe it was a one-time thing that happened and not a pattern for you. Also, you have to remember when you're receiving criticism that it's often a difficult thing for people to give. They will dance around the subject or be indirect. So if somebody is giving you direct feedback, that's courageous of them. And there have been times when I have given direct feedback to people on my team because my intention was to help them be better and do better. And they've actually thanked me. They've said, nobody else told me. And if you hadn't brought it up, I would have continued doing it. And I needed to know. That's a great point. We often couch criticism as something that's painful. We perceive criticism that we receive as painful, but actually it's a gift. Early in my career, when I was really struggling on the follow-through point, I felt it. I knew it. I carried this tremendous burden of guilt around when I knew I wasn't following through. I actually almost felt the sense of shame 
Brene Brown talks a lot about shame these days. It's become a hot topic the last few years, but it's a real thing, right? That shame, it started to affect everything I was doing. But when someone actually called it out, they cared enough to call it out and they could see me and identify that I was doing it and they wanted me to improve, to get better. And actually the shame melted away. I felt like this weight kind of came off of my shoulders. I could actually address it and do something with it. It's the same thing. Like my wife has a salad and then there's this big green leaf sitting over your canine tooth. It's not very loving or kind. If you just let someone walk around with food on their <laughs> tooth all day, heaven forbid a guy's walking around with a zipper undone. That's not a great look. So you actually care for them more by calling them out and giving them the opportunity to address it and fix it. I think it's the same thing. So I think that's a great call out. Okay, so to kind of wrap up this episode, really where we were focusing on, in order to have self-awareness, you really need to understand your areas for growth. You ask people, you listen, and be open to learning more from others about how you are perceived. We look for patterns too. What do I consistently notice that maybe I dropped the ball on? And what do I consistently do well is important to recognize as well. And then it's all about how can you, in order to build that self-awareness muscle, how can you better receive feedback and coaching? And that's what we're talking about. Understanding that criticism is actually intended to help you in most cases. I know that sometimes there might be the rogue person who just throw something at you. But the majority of people, it's taken a lot of courage for them to come to you and tell you where they think you could improve. So focus on the how and why that could help you to be better. That's all for today. Don't forget to head out to our website to download the tips and tricks worksheet from today's episode, download case studies, subscribe to our podcast and newsletter and more. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.